Good morning. So my name is Dan Baker. I'm the children's pastor here at Great Oaks Community Church. This morning I have the great pleasure of leading us together in a study of God's Word. Pastor Bill is uh, in town. He's just taking a week off from preaching. He was here first service. Um, I think he's home now, but that's okay. Um, thanks for coming this morning. And uh, in the middle of a three-day weekend, I know it would be real tempting to sleep in, do your grocery shopping, for the big barbecue tomorrow. If you like to barbecue in the rain, <laughs> clean out your barbecue pit. But you're here this morning to worship Jesus, so that's great. And I think you've come on a good morning, because today we have the incredible privilege of studying the Lord's Supper together, and then at the end we're going to take part in the Lord's Supper I hope every Sunday is a great Sunday, but especially on days like when we, especially on days like today when we get to spend time thinking about something that is so critical to our Christian faith. So, uh, God gave us two things that He wants us to be sure that we practice as a Christian church. Two things, two physical displays of our faith that are to take place in a public setting. All right. Uh, and one of those is baptism. God gave us baptism, and the purpose of baptism is for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ to stand up in front of their church and their community and to proclaim their faith publicly, right? God says, be sure you do that, right? That's, a, that's an instruction, right? That's not a choice. We treat it like a choice. It's not really a choice. God's pretty clear that's to be done. All right, so we do that here at Great Oaks Community Church about every three months. Uh, um, and then another thing that he's given us is the communion service. We also call it the Lord's Supper. I'm going to use those, those two terms interchangeably this morning. All right, Communion and the Lord's Supper. All right? He's given that to us. And he's told us to practice that also. He doesn't say, do these things if there's a Sunday where you don't have anything going on and you need something to fill up some time. Have a baptism or communion service, right? Not like that. It's not like, if you want to do this sometime, you know, I'd really appreciate it, guys, if you would do this, if, if you get around to it. That's not it at all, all right? These are two, what we call ordinances, all right? And what an ordinance is, is a custom that has a deep meaning attached to it. And this is what God has given us, these two things, all right? So this morning we're going to look at communion, the Lord's Supper. And uh, I'm going to ask that you please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have it, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It will also be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord's Supper is found in four different books in the Bible. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. John also talks a little bit about it, but John spends most of his time talking about the teaching that Jesus taught during the Lord's Supper. It's not really described in detail, uh, the, the actual events, like it is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, please follow along as we start reading in verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place... I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. So no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. 
And when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. And one remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you despise the Lord's church of God. And humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And my Bible has an exclamation mark there at that very last phrase that I read. Exclamation mark. Paul's excited. All right? And he's not excited in a good way. He's upset. He's upset with the church of Corinth. Let me tell you why. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Christians there in Corinth. And uh, it's a train wreck. That church is a train wreck. It is a mess. All right. Uh, there are people and they're uh, practicing sinful actions, living sinful lives, and they're condoning it. Some of them are teaching it. People aren't getting along. They're fighting. There's jealousy. Uh, it's, it's a mess. There's a lots of division going on. Everyone's upset with each other. And so Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians. And, uh, and in the middle of this letter, he spends time just talking about the Lord's Supper. All right? And there's something going on here in the church of Corinth also. They're practicing something called the love feast. Uh, the love feast is practiced by a lot of churches at this time in history. And uh, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it. Basically, the love feast is a potluck. It's a, it's a potluck dinner. You know, we thought we invented potluck. Right? Potluck was along long before us. And so these Christians, every Sunday, would bring food to share together. And, uh, and the church in Corinth had some, some wealthy people who could afford to bring a lot of food. And they also had some slaves and some poor people who couldn't afford to bring much food. So... They would all get together, and this would no doubt be the highlight of the slaves and the poorer people's week, right? This is when they got a, finally got a good meal, right? So they'd come together, and they'd have this meal. Uh, and the whole purpose of it is to encourage each other as a church, to help each other, to serve each other, and to love each other, thus the name, the love feast. All right, so it started out great. But before long, like a lot of things, it kind of went downhill. And... Uh, the people who could afford a lot of food, the rich people, would come together with all their food. And they'd have a designated time to meet. And if the slaves who were out doing work or some of the other people didn't show up on time because they had other things going on, they'd start eating their food. And they'd start stuffing their faces and they're chowing down and they're having a great time and they're filling up and they're having a great time. You know, they're thinking, we brought the food, we provided the food, let's eat the food. And they wouldn't wait. Okay, so then the slaves and the poor people and the others finally can manage to get to where the dinner is and uh, they see all the food's gone. Well, they obviously aren't real happy about that. Right? They've been looking forward to this, right? So they're like, what? You didn't save us any food? Why would you save us any food? Right? Well, we brought the food. We own the food, so we're going to eat the food. If you can't get here on time, it's your fault. If I can't get here in time, I'm out there doing work. You don't do anything. We do everything around here. You don't do anything around here. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Right? And it goes on and it gets bigger and worse. And this big division comes up in the middle of it all. These people over here start gossiping and talking to their people. And these people start gossiping and arguing and talking to their people. And they're spreading rumors and lies and everything else. And it's a mess. You throw on top of that that there's people here in Corinth who come out for the pagan lifestyle. They're still learning how to put Christ at the middle of their heart. And uh, they get there to this love feast and they see these bottles of alcohol around. 
right? Well, they grab the bottles, they're guzzling it down, you know, and they're drinking all this alcohol. They're getting drunk, which God strictly forbids in the Bible to get drunk, and they're getting drunk. And uh, so now you got hungry people, you got angry people, you got drunk people, and you got selfish people all at the same dinner. That's not going to end well, all right? So this is how their dinners were going. And then at the end of all this, they're supposed to celebrate the communion service, all right? They're supposed to take time to remember what God has done for them. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Not in the right spirit, in the right heart, right? Because it's a wreck. All right? So, Paul writes these words that I just read. And he says, knock it off. Right? That's my paraphrase, but I can hear Paul saying that right now. Knock it off. Get your act together. Right? He's saying, you're supposed to be an example to the community of what the church of Jesus Christ is about, and you're just being a disgrace. You're just being a disgrace. And he's upset. Right? So after he, he kind of rebukes them in those words I just read, then he begins to tell the Christians there in the city of Corinth what the Lord's... He tells them what the Lord's Supper is supposed to look like. Tells them what they're supposed to be doing. And it's interesting because he gives them three very clear actions that they should be doing as they take part in the Lord's Supper. Very clear, three things that are very clear. Those three things are just as true for us today as they were for the Corinthians 2,000 years ago. So this morning, as we go through this, what my goal is, is to have us be aware of those three things and to begin to practice those things, to make sure they are a part of us as individuals sitting here, to make sure that we are doing those things this morning as we take the Lord's Supper, but not just this morning. To make sure we're doing them any time that we meet together for the Lord's Supper, whether it's in this church or another church. All right? So, I'd like for you to keep reading with me now, and we're going to find those three things out. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow along now in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Let me stop right there. Uh, Corinthians, which was written by Paul, was written before any of the Gospels, all right? Now, obviously, the events in the Gospels occurred before the events in this, but it's actually, as far as being written down, Corinthians was written down before Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Paul didn't have the advantage of seeing those descriptions of what happened in the Lord's Supper on paper. Uh, and so, how did he learn about it? Well, the way I see it, from what he says here, for I received from the Lord. All right, so I believe that God spoke to Paul through the Holy Spirit and described for him very clearly what went on in that Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples shortly before he died. All right? So, that's what he means. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The first thing we see that Paul is telling us to do here is to remember. We are to remember Jesus, who he is, and what he did for us. Okay? Now, God is, God is all-knowing. 
He knows everything about us. That includes all of our flaws. And I have the tendency, probably, probably like many of you, to forget things. I have made my wife uh, a little frustrated on more than one occasion when she's asked me to do something, and I quickly forget. Uh, and honestly, most of the time, it's not intentional forgetting. Most of the time, I actually forget. And uh, sometimes as little as 10, 15, 20 minutes later, I forget to do something, right? Well, she gets a little irritated, and rightly so. I would get irritated also. Um, and so we all have that tendency to forget things, right? I forget things. You probably forget things. God knows that we forget things. So he gave us something. He gave us the communion service. He gave us something that we can touch and taste and smell and hold to help us remember who Jesus is and what he did for us. Right? I think one of the best inventions in the last 100 years is this little bad boy right here. The sticky notepad. <laughs> sticky notes. All right? If you go into my office, I got sticky notes on my desk next to my keyboard anywhere from 5 to 10 at a time. All right? And I write down on these sticky notes things that I need to remember. All right? If I don't, then I'm going to forget. And some important things I will forget. All right? So I write sticky notes and I put them next to my keyboard. And at home, it's the same way. Sometimes I'll have sticky notes on the kitchen counter that I've written down. I've got to get this done. I've got to get this done. Right? If not, I'm going to forget. Right? So God, because he knows that we forget, gives us the communion service as a physical reminder of, for us to remember Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Let's stay with this thought of, of remembering here for a moment. There at the, in the middle, it says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's what, those are the words of Jesus. The new covenant. What did he mean when he said the new covenant? This is what Jesus meant. Jesus meant that there is now a new agreement between God and mankind. Right? He's saying, we're doing things differently now. The old agreement, the old covenant, was through a sacrificial system of lambs being sacrificed on an altar. Jesus is saying now, there's a new covenant, a new agreement. All right? I, Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling all of those sacrifices. All right? I am the ultimate sacrifice. My blood shed for mankind covers it all. All right? I'm going to go into that just a little bit deeper. In the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned. That means you and me and everyone who's ever lived. We inherit that sin from Adam and Eve. All right? It's part of us when we're conceived and we live in this world. We are conceived with a sinful nature. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? That means we are separated from God. We can't have a relationship with Him because of that sin in our heart. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death. What that means is that we are separated both here on earth 
for the time that we live our, our short lives here on earth, there's a separation between us and God because of our sin. God can't have anything to do with sin. He's perfect. All right, so we're separated on earth, and we're separated for all eternity. God in heaven, and he sends the sinners, unforgiven sinners, to hell forever. All right? For the wages of sin is death. And praise God, the verse doesn't stop there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That tells us that God gave us a gift. He didn't have to. He did it because he loves us. He gave us a gift, and that gift was his son Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. He came down, he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead, conquering sin. Now you and I can have our sins forgiven through Jesus Christ and forever removed so we can begin a relationship with God. Here on earth today, we can, we can talk with God, we can hear from God, we can have His Spirit filling us up. It's possible because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. And for the rest of eternity, we can have relationship with God in heaven. So God's given us two choices. There are only two choices. The first choice is we choose to carry the punishment of our sins ourselves. We receive the punishment for our sin. That's what we deserve, right? Rightly so. Eternal separation from God forever. But God gave us another option, a much better option. And that is to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ and to place our faith in Him. He died on that cross spilling His blood so that our sins can be forgiven. So now we don't have to face the punishment that we deserve. Jesus did that for us on that cross as the perfect sinless sacrifice. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember that. And if there's some of you here this morning and God may be speaking to you and helping you realize you've got sin in your heart that you've never dealt with, that's got to be accounted for. Right? Today is the perfect day for you to re receive Christ. It will not get any more perfect than today. All you've got to do is bow your head, acknowledge to God you're a sinful person needing forgiveness of your sins and asking for his forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus and then handing your life over to God, saying, God, you're in charge. Right? If you choose to make that decision today sometime, please let me or Nate or Chris or someone here in this church know so we can celebrate with you and pray with you and maybe meet with you this week. When we come to the Lord's Supper, the first thing we do is to remember who Jesus is and what he did for us. I'm going to say one more thing before, about that before we go on to point number two. In verse 24, it says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Two of the most beautiful words you will ever read in the entire Bible for you. 
for you. It's not for God. Right? It's for you. God gave his son, sent his son to earth for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus rose from the dead for you. Jesus is in heaven preparing a home right now for you. That's awesome. I, of course, include myself in that word you. And we never get tired of thinking about that. God didn't create the communion service for himself. He's fully aware. He remembers well. He doesn't forget anything that he gave his son. He doesn't need a communion service to remind him of that. Right? He gave this for us to remember who Jesus is and what he did. Let's keep reading and find out the second action that we should be taking part in as we go through the Lord's Supper. Verse 26, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The second thing is we proclaim. We remember and then we proclaim. This is where communion service and baptism service have a lot in common. Okay? The baptism, what you're doing is proclaiming your faith in Jesus Christ to your community. The communion service, you're also proclaiming your faith and the trust that you have in Jesus' blood to your community. All right. Why is that important? Why do we need to do that? Because, friends, let's admit it. Sometimes the Christian life can be difficult. All right? It can be hard to be a Christ follower in the flesh on this earth, in this world, right? Certainly, here in the U.S., much more so even in other countries where they endure much more persecution, but whether it's persecution or the flesh or temptations or struggles, it can be very difficult to live a Christian life, right? God's given us His Holy Spirit to empower us, to make us able to do that. But He's also given us the communion service. Because as we sit together and we watch each other eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming to each other our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's important because it's difficult to live a Christian life. It helps us as individuals to understand we are a part of like-minded believers. We are a part of a bigger group of Christ followers who are here in this church to help us, to pray for us, to teach us, to serve us, to encourage us, to love us. So when we're having communion, it's a source of encouragement for each other, saying, wow, look what I'm a part of. These people all believe that core truth that I believe, that Jesus Christ loved me so much that he gave his life for me. We proclaim that faith in him as we take communion. Number one, we remember. Two, we proclaim. Let's go on to three. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. 
But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that, so that we will not be condemned with the world. The third thing we do as we take part in the Lord's Supper is to examine. Examine our hearts. Not examine our neighbor's hearts. All right? That's a temptation sometime, right? Begin thinking about the person sitting down the road from you, all right? Boy, I hope they're listening to this because they got a lot to learn today, right? No. We are examining our own hearts, right? Why is that important? Because there, in verse 27, it says it's possible to come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, right? How do we do that? You go down to verse 29, it says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord. I think we do that three ways. I think we come to the table in an unworthy manner in three ways. All right. First off, it's by becoming or by allowing the communion service to become a habit. It's just something we do. It's just something we do. Right? It's like, a, like an empty ritual. You go through the motions without going through the emotion. Right? I'm not saying we got to bawl and cry every time we have communion service. No. No. But don't allow it just to be something you check off your list because that's what you do on Sunday. You go to church and have a communion service every now and then. All right? That's what it was for the Corinthians. They'd get together and have these love feasts, and at the end they're like, oh yeah, uh, we're supposed to remember uh, Jesus died for us. Everyone good with that? Okay, amen. Check it off, right? That's what it was for the Corinthians. It was a checklist. It wasn't, they weren't living it out. It wasn't, it wasn't sincere. Don't allow this to become a habit, all right? The second way that we can come to the table in an unworthy manner is by making these, these elements, the juice and the bread, or the actual part of participating in it more than it is. The cup and the bread is a sign that points us to Jesus. There are many teachers around who teach that the cup and the bread turn into the physical body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus during the communion service. Right? And the reason they do that is because they are teaching that Jesus is continually being sacrificed for the sins of the world when they have communion. Well, that's not accurate. That's not biblical. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Christ, I'm going to say it again. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. Jesus doesn't continually die. He died. And the Bible teaches us that's all it takes. One death by a perfect sacrifice, God's Son on the cross for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. Everything was taken care of when Jesus was nailed to that cross and His blood spilled out. We come unworthily sometimes if we make the table or the elements more than they are. They are a sign to point us to Jesus, to help us remember. Something else we do is we tend sometimes to think there's salvation 
in the taking of the communion elements. There's no salvation in this process. It is a time to remember, right? Salvation takes place when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did by dying and raising from the dead and asking him to forgive us our sins and committing our life to following after him. Our salvation takes through when we put our faith in that. It's not by having communion. I think we come in an unworthy manner if we make the table something that God never intended it to be, the communion table, the elements. Right? I think the final way that we tend to come in an unworthy manner is if God is speaking to us, pointing something out to us in our hearts, telling us to take care of it, some kind of sin, and we choose to ignore it. And we take part in the communion service. It can be bitterness, anger towards a brother or sister in Christ, a spouse towards a spouse, towards a whoever. It can be a bitterness or anger towards God. Something in our life that God is telling us to get right. Right? And if there's division among you and someone else at the church, it needs to be taken care of. Because before long, if not, we begin to look like the church in Corinth. And that's not our goal. All right? So, we can be unworthy of taking the Lord's Supper if God's telling us to work on something, pointing something out for us to address, and we push it to the side, and we go about the Lord's Supper, and we just do our thing. Three things that Paul has given to us here in 1 Corinthians through the direction of the Holy Spirit to make sure that we do as part of the Lord's Supper. One, we remember. Remember Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did for us. Two, we proclaim our faith in him to our body, to our church, to our community. And three is we examine our hearts to see if there's anything that needs to be done in our hearts before we have this fellowship with the rest of the church. I'm going to ask for the ushers to come forward with with the bread. As they come, I want to say one more thing. This morning, if you're here and you're perfect and you see yourself as one of God's angels, this isn't for you. You're perfect. You don't need Jesus because you're perfect. Thankfully, I don't think any of us feel that way. But if you're here this morning and you understand the sin you have and your desperate need for a Savior and you cling to Jesus Christ with the hope that you have an eternal life with Him and His help and presence in your life today, then you are more than welcome to take part in this communion meal with the rest of us sinners. Friends, we think about what we're about to do and the hope that we have. The hope we have. Because Jesus loved us so much that he died for us. No matter what struggles or crisis we go through on this earth, and there can be a lot. We have the one unchanging, unshakable truth that we have Christ as our Savior and fellowship with Him. 
And we celebrate, and we celebrate that today in the communion service. Ushers, come on forward. The ushers are going to pass out the bread now, and I ask that you please wait for the, for the entire church here to be served, and then we'll take it together after everyone's been served. So Jesus, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And ask that the ushers come forward now with the juice. In the same way, I'm going to ask that you please keep the juice, and then after everyone's been served, we will take it together.
Then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the incredible gift of hope and life and salvation that you gave to us by sending your Son to earth to die for us. God, I thank you that we can cling to his salvation and his fellowship each day as we live our life and we can look forward to spending eternity with you. God, we thank you for your incredible love. And God, we love you very much. And thank you for creating the Lord's Supper for us to spend a few moments remembering and proclaiming the death of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's bring us together. Just a moment.